Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Grace Church on Wednesday night. We're glad that all of you could be here with us here on campus, and for those of you joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we'd like to say welcome to you as well. I want to give you just a few announcements this evening. Uh, first of all, if you have a sugar addiction, we're going to help you out because that's what we do here at Grace Church. Uh, there will be a baked goods silent auction uh, this coming Sunday in the lobby after service. And if you would like to bake something for this auction, we encourage you to do so to contribute to everyone's sugar addiction. Go ahead and get involved and uh, please contact Sister Tanya Coley if you would like to uh, like to be a part of that. And this is for Move the Mission. Uh, proceeds for this go toward uh, toward Move the Mission. Also, uh, Sunday the 28th, all parents and campers of all camps, the, we are asking you to meet in the A Center right after altar service. And finally, kids camp. Goodness gracious, already. June 5th through 9th, and that's for all of our students ages 8 through 11 in Tioga. So lots of things coming up. going to be a busy summer, and uh, you can always stay updated about what's going on here at Grace Church with our church app or the website. This past Sunday, uh, it was my privilege to be able to preach to you a sermon entitled Battlefield Banquets, Good Gifts in Bad Times. And I was talking with Owen right before service, and um, I told him that years ago, someone that I respect a great deal told me, Jason, if you don't get people to Jesus by the end of your message, what you have is a really nice speech, uh, not a sermon. And I realized that that was something that I really neglected to do on Sunday. But folks, we have an incredible gift uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. The scripture in um, Ephesians chapter 2 says, It is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What an incredible gift we have in the person of Jesus Christ. A friend, a counselor, a companion, a confidant, someone who has promised to never leave us, never forsake us. And it's through his sacrifice on the cross that we have the hope of eternal salvation what an incredible gift we have in Jesus. And I don't want to ever discount that or take it for granted or leave it unmentioned. Jesus, I'm thankful for the gift of yourself that you've given to every single one of us. Amen. God bless you this evening as pastor comes. I find it necessary tonight to uh, begin with this introduction in light of the, uh, well, I'm getting crickets already. <clears throat> How many words was that? And people already going to sleep. And I'm going to try to step it up and make this a little more than a speech. <clears throat> that was pretty cool right there, actually. It's very interesting. But, uh, Y'all want to do that to any of the other ministry team people, that's fine. Don't do that to me no more. Just saying. Anyway. But I feel it necessary to open with these comments concerning our silent auction uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, I need to give y'all proper instruction on how to eat a cupcake. Because most people don't know 
how to properly eat a cupcake. Most people make the biggest mess out of it. You take, you can't open your mouth that wide. You get icing all over your nose, and it doesn't work, right? Y'all on board? Okay. Take your cupcake with both hands like this. Not gonna get the icing up here, and you just break the cake part in half and put that half on top of the icing and make a sandwich out of it. And you can eat it beautifully. It's just, this is tried and true. I've done it many times every time I eat a cupcake. So I just thought I would share that with you and you're welcome. And uh, I will make your life easier and the people around you as they watch you and observe you eating your cupcake for move the mission. So there you go. Um, what a service this past Sunday. Uh, I told Brother Jason just a moment ago that I have not been able to get that sermon out of my head and assured him. Um, I'm sure all of us have had this experience that when you hear some insight on a verse of scripture, you hear somebody expound on a verse of scripture and it changes the way you look at that scripture for the rest of your life. Uh, that has happened to me oftentimes with Bible scripture and whatnot. And I just told him I will never ever read the scripture in Psalm 23 where uh, it said that I will prepare a table before you. He will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'll never read that again the same. If you were not here Sunday and did not hear that, I'll strongly recommend, encourage you to go back and watch that, listen to it uh, via the Grace Church website. It will certainly be a blessing to you. And um, so please do that if you can. Um, it was certainly a very impactful uh, presentation from a man who's very sincere, very honest, very transparent, and appreciate his passion. Brother Jason did a great job Sunday, and thank you so very much for that. Uh, before we go to our presentation tonight, I've been asked to announce again that if you've been through Grace Steps in our, our leadership class and would like to help us in the nursery, it would be deeply, deeply appreciated. And uh, But here's our policy on the nursery. Um, if a nursery worker is not available for that Sunday, then all the babies come into the sanctuary, and uh, we, we will not be able to facilitate nursery. I do not expect those who work the nursery to work continual Sundays in a row, missing uh, the 11 o'clock service out here. That has never been my expectation. And um, so, but if you can help us, uh, it would be deeply, deeply appreciated, and uh, particularly if you're a female. Uh, we'd prefer that as well. Let me go to my scripture text in Matthew 16. I want to continue uh, the theme uh, that we introduced last Wednesday night, our purpose as a church, and I want to use the same scripture setting. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I want to continue uh, our purpose as a church 
And uh, <clears throat> I find and understand when you read the statement Jesus made in Matthew chapter 16, the presentation he made to Simon Peter, that I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That was all predetermined. Um, I don't believe Peter just pulled things out of the air, uh, especially when he preached in Acts chapter 2. We've been through this this year, as a matter of fact, this, this year, um, in a, a series I did a couple of months ago on Wednesday night uh, about what he preached in Acts chapter 2. That was determined and, and dealt with. And uh, so the words bind and loose are perfect passive participles in the Greek language indicating things that have already been forbidden forbidden or permitted. So you just can't do whatever you want and expect God to bless it. If you, you must do what He wants, and if you do what He wants, then the blessing comes automatically. We pointed out last Wednesday night that if a contractor builds a house for someone, he theoretically sticks to the blueprint, which is the will of the purchaser, the people paying to have the house built. If we want to build a church, we need to stick to the blueprint, which is the Bible, which is the will of the purchaser, who is Jesus. Otherwise, we're not really building a church. So this presentation tonight is... Uh, continuing to discover what God's blueprint for building His church is. Last week, I made three points, and I plan to do the same tonight, but uh, last week I talked to you about point number one that God wants us to do to build a church, and that's to do and teach. That's part of the building process of the uh, apostolic church. Number two is to witness and wait. We talked about that last Wednesday night and then concluded with rise above and go beyond. Uh, tonight I want to uh, introduce another concept or principle and uh, we'll watch the clock closely tonight. And uh, uh, I may cut this presentation in half, do part of it tonight, the next part, uh, next Wednesday night of course. We'll see how the, how the time works. But I'd like to introduce to you tonight a, a, a term that I'm going to refer to as apostolic agreement. Apostolic agreement. The Bible said, and we all know the verse very well, that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord. That those two words, English words, one accord, is homothumadon in the Greek language, if I pronounce that right. This very unique Greek word is used six times to refer to the church in the book of Acts. It refers to the church in the book of Acts. It was a part of the book of Acts church identity. And it helps us when you understand what this really means is it helps us understand the uniqueness of the Christian community. It is a compound of two words that mean this. One accord, translated one accord from the Greek language, it means this. It's a compound of two words, which means to rush along. The Bible said they heard of a sound of a rushing mighty wind, to rush along in unison. 
the image that is portrayed here, and I'll point out again, I've done this numerous times through the years. The Greek language has a, a propensity about it, if you will. Um, it's a, a picturesque language. Um, I can't speak Greek, obviously, but I have studied a little bit about it. And uh, it's a, a, a picturesque language, if you will. It, it, when you speak it properly, it paints a picture. Whatever you're saying paints a picture in the mind of the person who's listening to you. Uh, we try to do that with the English language, but the English language really struggles uh, because it is so, uh, it, it's just, there's not enough words, uh, et cetera, not enough letters to really paint the picture like it needs to be done. I'll give you an example. The Greek language does not use a word, one single word, to mean several different things. In the English language, you have the word light. That could mean light in the building, or it could mean something weight-wise is light, and maybe various other meanings. Uh, you have the word bear. It could be bear with no clothing. It could be a bear in the woods. I know it's spelled different, but it's pronounced the same. Uh, the Greek language doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, their letters are words. Their first, the first letter of the Greek alphabet is Alpha, that, that should give you a hint. The first letter of our alphabet is A. That's a challenge right there. Isn't it? The Greek alphabet steps it up. Alpha, beta, etc., etc. So the Bible, in the, especially the New Testament, is trying to paint a picture. When you read Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord. What the writer is saying is they were rushing along. They were hurrying up, if you will. They were anxious to get through this process to get to the next level of development and what have you. And they were all in unison. They were all on the same page. They were all in agreement. All 120 of these people were in perfect harmony, if you will. They were not all alike. Their personalities were not all alike. Their backgrounds were all different. Their monetary status was all, everything about these people were different. But when the Spirit of the Lord filled them up, it brought them to a place of unison of harmony, if you will. The image being painted here by the writer is, is musical. It is literally a musical image. It's a number of notes being sung or played at the same time. While they're all different notes, they all harmonize in pitch and in tone. Nobody was flat. Nobody's vibrato was way off the chart to mess the whole thing up. None of that was going on. When these people were filled up with the Spirit of God, they began to speak in another tongue. The harmony, the unison of that produced a harmony that in the ears of God was just absolutely amazing and caused that little room to be surrounded by thousands of people in just a matter of minutes. It was 
that amazing. It's like the instruments of a, a great concert. Kind of grieves me a little somewhat that so much music you hear nowadays is electronic. It's produced electronic. They produce voices electronically and what have you. Uh, but back in the old days, if you will, and it's still in existence today. It's just not that popular anymore uh, for obvious reasons. People don't care for it too much. But you, you still could, could see the, the orchestras of two or three hundred people and, and, and numbers of different instruments. But when they all played what they were supposed to play, when they were supposed to play it, and they were all tuned to the right pitch, it is an incredible sound. It still fascinates me to this day. Uh, I strum a guitar a little bit at home, and uh, that's usually where it stays, is at home. And uh, usually in my office at home, it, it really don't even go out of that room too much. But it still amazes me that you can take six strings of different gauges, of different weights, and tune them and strum a C card or an E card or D card or an A flat, a B flat, whatever, and strum it. It is amazing at the sound that just six strings can produce. I also have a 12-string guitar at home. When all of those are tuned to the same pitch, it's amazing at the sound it can produce. Conversely, you turn one of those strings a little bit in the wrong direction and you get it too flat or too sharp, it don't matter what chord you play. It is going to be awful. And the most tone-deaf people will even kind of squinch their eyebrows to the point where they have that unibrow thing, that just both eyebrows connect. It just looks like one eyebrow that goes all the way, and they're like, what's wrong with that? That don't sound right. I've heard people grab a microphone and begin to sing, and everybody was wishing that they would have set it down as quickly as they picked it up. But if you can have it, I mean, any of you remember the olden days of, of a quartet when you had, I always liked the one with the four men in it. You had the real high-pitched guy and you had the, the, the bass guy and the two in between. And when they were all just right, the sound of that was amazing. This is what is portrayed to me when I study Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When these people, 120 of them, they were a literal Holy Ghost-filled concert to the ears of God and to the ears of the people around them to the extent that the people gathered around the upper room began to question among themselves what is this we never heard anything like that I'm, I'm, I'm building this point as hard as I can I, I'm stringing it out as long as I can because I don't want to move past it I want everybody to understand it None of these people were educated in that. None of them had been schooled in that. Nobody had any idea what was about to come. When Jesus told them to go to the upper room and wait till you be endued with power, they had no idea what was coming. He didn't even give them a broad hint. He just said, go till you be endued with power. But when it happened, here's the point. It was amazing to God, but it also did something to the city of Jerusalem, and they have never been the same since I believe one person being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that day could have been very impactful but when you have 120 sitting there experiencing 
the exact same thing at the exact same time in perfect harmony and perfect unity. It impacts the whole entire world and it's still impacting the whole entire world. Amen. Amen. So the instruments of the great concert are under the direction of the concert master. And when we as a church, if we as a church could ever embrace, I say we as a church, if any church, and it's happened numerous times around the globe for the past year since Acts chapter 2. But when a church comes together and can agree at that moment on that point where God can manifest himself, not just in the manifestation of tongues, but having that many people on the same page doing that at the same time, the power of that, the impact of that is absolutely phenomenal. I've seen many, many preachers throughout the years strive. I've seen it at camp meeting over and over and over. I remember one year uh, Lee Stone King made a huge effort to have everybody just lift your hands and let's all receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost again. And there's always that element of people. They're always there. It's that Phariseeistical attitude, that Sadducee, that I'm just not going to do that tonight. And so you never get that unity, that, that power of apostolic agreement. I want to move on tonight. I hope you got that point. This will be on our website. You're welcome to go back and listen to the whole thing again. Even my cupcake illustration, if you didn't even get that, you could listen to that again. Um, but to further illustrate the power of unity, and I want everybody at Grace Church to listen. I'm going to go into this in, in, a, in a, a little bit more in a moment. But when, you, when you're filled up with the Spirit of God, God don't change your personality. Now, you can be weird in your personality, but you just Holy Ghost feel weird. I'm weird. I'm not being, I'm weird. I'm, I know I'm weird. The cupcake thing is weird at people out here. Not, they're like, well, I get it, but I'm Holy Ghost feel. You can be ugly. That last, all right, I just heard, there was a tone that said, he's talking about everybody but me. That's what I got out of that. So. I'm having a good time here tonight in the house of the Lord. Amen. Thank you very much. Let's give the Lord some praise here tonight, shall we? But to further illustrate the point of unity and the power of unity, there are some 47 one another commandments in the New Testament that we cannot obey unless we are in fellowship and in agreement with our fellow Christian believer. If you're not in agreement, you can't obey these commandments. I'm not going to give you all 47 of them, but I'm going to give you enough of them here right now. 
that you'll understand. Galatians chapter 5 says that we are to serve one another. Oh, I don't like that person. That's not an exception. I don't agree with that person. That's not an exception. I'm uncomfortable around that person. That's not an exception. See, this is what breaks up being in unison, being in harmony. Get over yourself. Get full of the Holy Ghost. Be more Holy Ghost filled than personality filled. Feelings filled. Okay. To accept one another, according to Romans 15, 7. That's being in harmony, in unison. Serve one another, accept one another. Number three, forgive one another. The New Testament church doesn't allow unforgiveness or grudge-toting. It doesn't allow envy and jealousy and strife and all these things. The church has to be in unison. It has to be. It's, it's, it's like having the praise team up here. What's that song they opened with Sunday morning? Uh, How Great Are Your Works? And they do those two key changes. It's really cool. And I love it when they're coming and you just do that modulation up one note or one key and then you do it one more up one key. If somebody else decides I'm going to sing something else during that song, that's, you just have confusion and, and it doesn't work and nobody wants to hear it. The application, understand the presentation of Acts chapter 2 verse 1. The presentation of that is it worked because they were all in unison. They were open to receive something from God that they had no idea about. We don't think that way all the time. Oh, I want to know first. I want to check it out first. I want to see how it works with somebody else first. I want some Bible for that first, whatever. These people were there consumed in faith and trust that whatever it was that God was going to give them, they wanted it without any preview <laughs> Without any here, take it and hold it and see what you think about it and then let me know a week later. They didn't do none of that. They were open to the moving of God's power and God's spirit. So they were willing to serve one another, accept one another, forgive one another. They were willing to greet one another. Aisles in the church were not made for avoiding people. The space in between the chairs were not made. For a quick getaway because she's coming or he's coming. We don't do that. We greet one another. According to Romans 16, 16, Galatians 6, 2 teaches us to bear one another's burdens. The Bible teaches us to be devoted to one another. The Bible teaches us to honor one another. The Bible teaches us to teach one another. The Bible teaches us to submit to one another. To encourage one another. There are some 47 of these in the New Testament that should be in operation in the church if we're truly in unison, in harmony, in one accord. And everybody said amen. The power of unity, as we know, is one of the most powerful forces on earth, whether for good or evil. The Tower of Babel proved this until God confused their language. 
when they ceased to have the ability to understand each other, it took away their unity. Boy, there's a lot of implication in this. In his prayer before his betrayal, Jesus prayed that the world might see a united church. He knew that the world would believe in him when the world could believe in us. Disunity cost us our credibility because the world already sees so much of that. Jesus prayed in John 17, 21, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in one in us, that the world might believe that thou hast sent me. Our cities are not lost because of the devil's power being greater than God's power, but because we expend our own energies on our own agendas, on self-promotion instead of self-sacrifice. You cannot pray, thy kingdom come, until we pray, my kingdom go. Amen. Temptation has killed its thousands, but disunity, it's ten thousands. And babies die easiest in a fight. Listen to pastor. No one's ever left a church because of God. God's reputation can be ruined because of his children. Romans 2.24 said, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, Paul wrote. Gandhi said, I would have become a Christian were it not for observing Christians. It was reported a number of years ago that in Ethiopia, the church does not pray for revival, neither does it preach about revival. Instead, they pray for unity and preach doctrine, and then God sends them great revival. So let me give you three principles of unity here tonight. Unity does not depend on uniformity. Peter said, you also as lively stones, everybody say stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Bricks are uniform. Stones are unique. And the Bible said we are lively stones. The church of God, referring to its people, is like fingerprints. There are no two just alike. And I believe one of our greatest mistakes we take in, in apostolic presentation to people is we want them to be like us. And when they're not like us, we get uncomfortable. We want people to think like us, act like us, talk like us, all of that, all of that. A number of years ago, <clears throat> prior to entering in ministry, we prayed with a young man at our home church for a long time in the altar, and he received the Holy Ghost. He was pouring sweat. And when he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he spoke in tongues for a long time, and he just literally, he danced and danced and danced, and finally just exhausted himself physically sat down on the first row and let out a horrible curse word that starts with the letter D, as in dog, said that word, this feels good. So in the same instance, according to you and I, the minute he received it, he lost it. But see, I don't recommend cursing, but he was a brand new convert. 
He was just expressing himself. And I believe God somewhere up there kind of chuckled like you would if it was your infant baby that did something real nasty or whatever. You'd just kind of chuckle and clean up the mess and, and you just keep raising them and you just keep loving them and you just keep working with them. God, I wish we could learn that in the house of God, in the church of God. People aren't going to be like us. They're not going to always think like us. They're not going to always act like us. But this is the house of God. It's God's church. Every member is not the same shape. But the Paul taught that we're all fitly framed together by the master craftsman. I was thinking in preparation for tonight, uh, I was given kind of a litmus test, I suppose. I don't know what else you'd call it. When we first started in evangelistic ministry, uh, we stayed with Pam and Ron Eddings. That's uh, Sister Murphy's oldest sister. Pam, most of you know her, and uh, they had a beautiful, beautiful home in uh, North Carolina, and they agreed to let us stay there, but he did not want me to just pray and study all day long. He had a project that needed to be done. He showed me how to operate an old Ford tractor with a big old rusty bucket on the front of it, and he had several pallets of stones at the foot of his a very steep, very treacherous it was, very steep and treacherous curvy driveway several bags of mortar, and he said, I will need you to build me an embankment wall along the side of our driveway. I didn't know how to operate a tractor. I didn't know how to build a wall out of stones. I didn't know how to mix water, I, mortar. I didn't know how to do none of that. But he gave me a crash course, and for the next several weeks, I would drive that tractor down to the bottom of that hill and just look at stones that I think would work and just kind of threw them in the bucket and went up there as far as I know, that wall is still there, and that's been some 40-plus years ago, however long it's been. But it reminded me, and it's been a constant reminder, that that wall serves its purpose, and there ain't no two stones in it just alike. It's a lot of, there's a lot of message in that. So we have to understand that unity does not depend on uniformity. This is God's church, and he puts it together, fitly framed together. Number two, the unity does not depend on compromise. Please listen to pastor tonight. Let me remind all of us here tonight that when you read the New Testament, there's only one church in it. There's only one church. Only one church that meant anything to God anyway. <clears throat> it was a church that he bled and died for. It was made up of Gentile people, Jewish people, and everybody else in between you can imagine of every race, country, creed, it didn't matter. When Jesus prays for unity, he is not speaking of denominations coming together and fellowshipping around the lowest common denominator that we could produce. In fact, the one world church prophesied in the Bible is literally a tool of the Antichrist. Jesus is speaking of real unity around the message first preached by the apostles. In our society that regards all values, beliefs, and lifestyles, and truth claims, it's all equally valid in our society today. There's only one universal virtue that is tolerated, and that is tolerance. And if tolerance is a cardinal virtue, then there can only be one evil, and that is intolerance. That is exactly the attitude that we're seeing in our society today. The United Nations Declaration of Principles on Tolerance 
says this, Tolerance involves the rejection of dogmatism and absolutism. Isn't it ironic that the proponents of the new tolerance are so dogmatic about dogmatism and so absolute in their opposition to absolutism? That'll make you want to break a cupcake and have it on it now. In other words, any system that believes in absolute truth is by definition guilty of intolerance. You don't have any, you don't even have to say anything. You even, if you even think there's an absolute truth, then you are intolerant and thus an appropriate object of intolerance. So to the modernist, non-agreement is phobia. Non-conformity is hate. And conviction is fanaticism. This is why the proponents of tolerance have no problem being intolerant towards Christians because we believe in biblical truth, one God, sin, and the evangelization of the faith. The spirit of the new tolerance has in great measure infiltrated the church of the last days, and this is why many Christians have the false idea that all interpretations of Scripture are equal. And to tell someone their belief or behavior is wrong is being judgmental. But the Bible contains absolute truth. Amen. This is interesting to me. Vance Harhavner, who was an early 1900s preacher, just going back over 100 years, had this to say. The New Testament church was an intolerant church. At once we throw ourselves open to a broadside of protest. Intolerant is a scandalous word to use these days for if there's anything that is uh, in style among our progressive churches is that word tolerance. This is in the early 1900s. You would think that intolerance was the unpardonable sin. We are majoring as never in all church history on being broad-minded, that we have become so broad, we have become also pitifully shallow, never seems to disturb us. We must broaden or bust. Of course, some experts Intolerance can be amazingly intolerant of those who do not share their broad-mindedness, but that does not disturb them either. I want to read what the Bible has to say about this, and we'll move on to point three and put our landing gear out. In 2 Timothy 2.24, the, the Amplified Version says, And the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, fighting and contending. Instead, he must be kindly to everyone and mild-tempered, preserving the bond of peace. He must be a skilled and suitable teacher, patient and forbearing and willing to suffer wrong. He must correct his opponents with courtesy and gentleness in the hope that God may grant that they will repent and come to know the truth and that they will perceive and recognize and become accurately acquainted with and acknowledge it. And that they may, become, that they may come to their senses and escape out of the snare of the devil having been held captive by him henceforth to do his God's will. The church must still stand for truth. We must stand for truth. Talking about unison, talking about harmony, talking about being in one accord. Finally, number three, unity. Unity and revival does depend on us. I looked at that word us today. And it reminded me one time we had been evangelizing and was back home and 
Brother Young asked me to come up and just share some inspiration, and I did. And while I was going to my seat, he commented on something that I said. He said that I said, and I'm sure I probably did, that instead of saying that the United States needs revival, I said, according to him, that revival needs the United States. I turned it around backwards. Well, he took that and preached for about three or four minutes that if God could have the United States of America in unison, in harmony, in one accord, when it comes to the power of the Spirit of God, we could turn this world upside down. What used to be Christian America. So unity and revival does depend on us, but it also depends on the U.S. It could impact so many more people. But Jesus prayed his prayer for unity in the presence of his bickering, prestige-seeking disciples. You remember when they asked, Who's going to sit on your right hand and left hand, and could it be me? And I mean, their mothers were offering bribes and all of that, it seemed. They, they missed the point. It's not about status. It's not about fame. It's not about getting all the credit. They had to learn as much as we have to learn that the will of God is subject to the will of man where the church is concerned. And if we're not in harmony with the kingdom, the church of God here will never be what God wants it to be. But if we are in harmony, we can be that power, that force in the world today. The, the psalmist said in Psalm 78, 61, the Bible said, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hands. This is what I feel and believe that God has been doing to Grace Church, especially this year, you have a very, really cool presentation we're going to be making this coming Sunday. Um, it won't be repeated. So if you miss it, I don't know what to say. We'll send you a sympathy card, something along that line. But it's going to be a really cool presentation this coming Sunday. But... <clears throat> What I believe God has been doing to this church, and I'm concluding. It's like when a, a father wrestles with his child. When he does this, he restrains his strength. <clears throat> and I've known I've done it, wrestling, particularly with my son when he was little. Um, I would pretend like he tackled me and threw me down and all that. and But then I'd come back on him and... But I'd have to end the thing showing him that you're still going to do the will of your daddy, whether you want to or not. Now, we're playing now, but when it comes down to it, you're going to do what I want you to do. When I want your room cleaned up, I mean it. Uh, he will tell you that. Um, on and on it goes. I'd like for us to consider in conclusion tonight the great Old Testament uh, patriarch Jacob. His strength when he wrestled the angel that night, his strength was made weakness. The reason for that is because God or that angel literally overpowered him. 
I think we all know tonight the power of the angelic. They're, they're amazing, they're incredibly powerful beings. The Bible illustrates that many, many, many times, especially in the book of Revelation. You can see their power manifested. And then when you consider how much power God has, I mean, to fight against the kingdom of God is literally a waste of time. But I believe in, in, in a certain context, in the context of this scripture, uh, this presentation tonight, when, when Jacob wrestled the angel, the Bible said he wrestled all night. I know in my heart that angel was not huffing and puffing and saying, oh God, I need some help here. I, I can hardly take over this man. I, he's so powerful. He's so strong, whatever. I kind of believe the angel was playing to some degree. I think he was having a good time with old Jacob. Jacob was hard-headed and, and such a wicked man that God just kind of had to show him for a long time, over and over and over, who was boss. Take him down, let him up. Let's go at it again. Take him down, let him up. Overpowering him, not in a way to force him to do something against his will, but he was overpowering him in a way to show Jacob that you're on the wrong path. And if you really want to be successful, Jacob, you'll do it my way. If you really want to become that life-changing, that world-impacting person, then you need to do things my way. And, and the angel was successful finally in doing that. As a matter of fact, the last thing he did was change his name and touched his hip, and his hip was out of joint, and he lived, I suppose, until he died. There's something in human nature that wants to fight against God. We, we want God to see things our way. God, I want you to do this. I really appreciate you doing it, but if you could do it my way, if you could just, just listen to my instructions and, and hear me out, hear my feelings and, and do things my way. I believe God is working with Grace Church. I do, and that's why I'm wanting to make this presentation and, and some more of it next Wednesday night. The whole crux of repentance is God showing a person that your way isn't working. If you'll do it my way, Life can be so much different. There's people I know that in my heart of hearts right now that could be married if they had, to each other if they had just both done what God wanted them to do. Just quit fighting it. Just quit fighting and do what God wants you to do. Be what God wants you to do. And that story can go in many, many different directions. But I believe somehow God has been showing us all this year that if you'll go in the direction I want you to. And, and this church seemingly always just, you want to follow God to the best of your ability. Our, our young people, our youth group right now is phenomenal off the chart. Our Sunday school teachers, when you talk to them, you hear nothing but excitement in their voice. Our, our music team, it's all throughout the church. It's like we want God to have his way. So I'm concluding tonight, and this is my segue into our presentations this coming Sunday morning. God, just keep working with us because we're coming. We're coming more and more every day, every day, every day. God, you're, you're, you're showing us a better way. You're showing us what you want us to be, who you want us to be as a church. We don't want to compromise that. We don't want to give up on none of that. We just want to be as strong and powerful as a church as we can be. So God, just be a little more patient. Give us a little more time. We're coming. We're coming. Let's give the Lord some appreciation. Thank the Lord. So God bless you tonight. Come out Sunday morning. Great attitude, great spirit. Be excited. Let's be what God wants us to be.
let's be in unity this coming Sunday. What do you think? What do you say? And let's see what God's going to do. God bless you. You're dismissed. Be nice to everybody. Greet everybody. We'll see you Sunday morning. <clears throat>